is Aaliyah of AaliyahMcDaniel.com. I am here bringing you spirituality, wellness, self-love for black folks. If you are new to me, let me tell you a little bit about myself. I teach classes, I write books, I offer spiritual advising, and basically I'm just here for all good things black, all black things good, and that's a little bit about what I do. So right now, before I jump into the content of today's show, I think we are at episode seven, can I just say shout out to all the people here in Texas, all the people here in the DFW Metroplex. I am filming from day five, day six, day something of Snowmageddon. For those of y'all that have no clue and you've been under a rock for the last week, here in Texas, we've been dealing with the most horrific weather ever. Not only has it been below freezing for the past, I think, eight days, nine days, ten days. Honestly, I've lost count. But we've been under six plus inches of snow. And I know all my East Coast folks, because I used to be one myself, are probably saying it's no big deal. And, you know, six inches of snow, that's something that we go out in regularly. But I want to remind y'all that we are dealing with six inches of snow with no infrastructure to support it. So that means that most folks have lost power. Most folks have lost heat. Most folks have lost water. Most folks have pipes that have burst if you do have water. And so it has been just really horrific out here. So shout out to all of us for surviving. Shout out to the people who have been there to help others. And as I look outside my window, this is, it's 40 degrees outside. And this is the first time in I don't know how many days, I think since Tuesday, whatever the day it was, Tuesday over a week ago, that we have not been freezing. So, yay, we made it. We made it. We made it. And I think by next week, the weather's supposed to be something like 60 degrees. So, this Texas for you. I have a couple of more shout outs. I want to shout out to all my followers who've been rocking with me since the beginning. We are officially in season two of Soul Sisterhood, Soul Purpose Sisterhood. And I told y'all that I would be giving you bi-weekly episodes. So here we are. Um, and this is really going to be less me teaching and me just sharing all the things that are on my heart, all the things that are coming through my experiences, both personal experiences as I teach, as I coach, as I guide, and then also just my observations on the world dealing with, like I said, spirituality, wellness, and self-love for black folks. I have a special shout out for um, a new listener who dropped some change in my tip jar so I hope I'm saying your name correctly, but thank you, Mbashur Mbanga. I really, really appreciated that support. And I want to welcome anybody else that want to drop a little bit of coins for sis that I am all the way ready and open and available to that. So if you want to cons- contribute monetarily, you can do that by, you know, hitting me up on my cash app. And that is dollar sign queen B-A-C-M. Those are my initials. Or if you want to leave something in the tip jar, you can go to my shop on my website, and that's aliyahmcdaniel.com. There's no S in that because you know how black folks love to add an S to everything. It's not McDaniels. It's McDaniel, singular. So it's aliyahmcdaniel.com, A-L-E-I-A-M-C-D-A-N-I-E-L. 
And then, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about whether or not I should set up a Patreon so that you guys can be regular subscribers with the donations. I had a Patreon once upon a time ago under the advice of another coach I was working with. And truly, I had no strategy, no purpose, just did what the coach said to do. That person turned out to be a whole ass fraud. And then I really had to examine myself around, you know, what am I doing that's for my spirit? What am I doing that's listening to my own Ori and not just following blindly because somebody else told me to do? So I disbanded that Patreon um, a few years ago, but now I'm thinking about um, considering bringing it back as a way for folks to be regular contributors to me, to my work, and then also to other black folks that I make donations to. If you're looking for a way to, you know, support me non-monetarily, of course, I have some ways too. please, 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 please subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform that you're listening to. I would love it if you leave me a positive review and then share it to your socials. You can always tag me in your socials and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Hey, Mrs. McDaniel. That's Hey with three Y's and I'm occasionally on Twitter at Hey Mrs. McDaniel with two Y's. Of course, you know, Twitter wouldn't let me have all the characters, so I had to be inconsistent. So now that we got those niceties out of the way, I hope that you are doing well. I hope that you are loved. I hope that you are in a place of relaxation and I just hope all good things for you. Let's go ahead and hop into the topic for today. So, in case you did not know, for some reason, I just don't know how you wouldn't know, but it is Black History Month, and one of the cool things about it being Black History Month is that this is the time of year of all the documentaries, all the things that are um, really just pro-Blackness, all the things about our history, about our culture, and I love a good documentary. Um, If you didn't know me, or if you didn't know this before, I was a sociology major in undergrad with um, a minor in political science. Um, I love black culture, clearly, and so I've been going through the interwebs and all the streaming devices because, again, I have nothing but time since I've been home for this past week looking at different documentaries, and one that I heard of was called The Black Church, and it was on PBS. This is one that was brought by Henry Louis Gates, our Skip Gates, and he is a renowned black um, researcher, writer, just all the things, and I wanted to go check it out to see what it was about. So I'm going to talk about two distinct things. I'm going to give you some background about what they shared in the documentary. If you have not watched it, um, I definitely encourage you to go see it, and then also some of my thoughts around what I thought was missing and where I would love to see this go next. So first, the Black Church documentary. It really delved into the history of the Black Church. And what I appreciated was that it began um, not with a description about what Christianity is, but instead it talked around how it talked about how enslaved people from Africa when they were brought over to not just directly to the United States, because we know that most folks came through the triangular trade. So they stopped in the Caribbean. These most folks actually went to South America first, um, directly from Africa, and then and then eventually made their ways to the United States through different islands and along the way. So because of that trade and because of that that path and that journey, that 
the black church or black religiosity in the United States in particular really was an adaptation of African traditional religion and Islam in the Americas. So, for example, when folks came over um, and when folks were, were kidnapped and brought to the States, they didn't just come with with nothing. They didn't come. They didn't come absent of a culture, absent of a language, absent of a religion. But instead, they brought all of those things with them from from the motherland. They brought all of those things that were indigenous to them. But because, and it was very intentional, you often had people that settled onto plantations or that were moving in groups that were not their tribesmen, so to speak. So they weren't necessarily around folks that had their same language groups, that they didn't all have the same exact practices. And so African practices in the in the new world, so to speak, our African practice in the Americas are really an amalgamation of many different types of indigenous practices in the Americas. And then also because Islam and some would argue Christianity were um, present in West Africa in particular before um, or during the slave trade, then you're going to have mixture. You're going to have um, aspects of those as well, too. So. So what the documentary dives into is how in many different examples of how we see um, how the African traditional religion was and how black church was really an adaptation of African traditional religion in the Americas. Um, it also goes into a discussion about how white folks used religion as a political tool to justify saving black people, but keeping them in slavery. So, you know, there's always this this cognitive dissonance that happened at the time and still happens now about how is it that a people, a person, a full human being can justify enslaving, torturing, kidnapping other human beings. And so folks had to go through through mental gymnastics in order to make it make sense, because the reality is it makes zero sense. There's no way that you can unless you are devoid of a soul or devoid of a personality or have a severe mental illness that you're able to literally torture, kidnap and put people in bondage without having some kind of way of making it make sense. And so what white folks did at that time was that they would justify it that they were, one, saving the African savages or saving these poor heathens from themselves and introducing them to God. So that's what they really believed. And the crazy part is that there are really people that still believe this to this day. I have heard people of color use that as an excuse for slavery about how if we didn't have slavery, then we wouldn't have been introduced to God. Like I literally have heard it with my own ears in the year of 2021. I have actually heard it with my own ears, um, white folks sitting around. Um, I never forget this particular job I had here in Dallas. And I was in a very affluent neighborhood where I worked and the people would sit around in, in, glorify their own missionary efforts and how they were so proud of themselves about how they had gone to Africa and saved the heathens and saved all of this. And it's, and it's crazy because you see that this, that this belief really passes down from generation to generation. And this is exactly what folks thought back in the day. But not only that, they um, they they also had the cognitive dissonance and said one way they can justify torturing and keeping people in bondage is that they weren't people at all. So the documentary goes into all of that. I'm not going to recap every single point because hopefully if you're listening to this, this is not the first time that you have heard this information around um, how people justified slavery and justify racism and justify all of this, the torturous behavior and habits but if this is somehow then I strongly encourage you to go do your work and go do some research because um 
it's it's important that we know this because it's important that we understand our history so as they say so that we don't repeat it um, a few other things that the documentary goes into it talks about how black folks used religion as a mechanism of coping and hope and used it as a tool of liberation. And so it talks around not only um, with the music that was used during times of slavery, but also during post post Civil War, also during um, you know around the World Wars and around the Civil Rights Movement, and how. Christianity in particular in the black church in general was used as a was used as a mechanism of a and a tool for this. But then how at the same time that it was used as this tool, when we move into post-World War II when you know when people are moving out of the South and moving west and north and east, and how people are gaining financial rewards, it also became a tool of rect respectability and silencing. And I thought that that was really fascinating because we see so much of that now. When I talk about um, black church used as a tool of respectability and silencing, when folks are moving up north and it became, you know, and joining some of these churches, and I don't mean the storefront churches, but I mean the bigger churches or the more um, affluent churches are, are bigger denominations, then it became a way of showing that they were distant from their, their impoverished background or they were distant from the south or they were distant from those kind of blacks, but they could be the ones who, who dressed up and, and really believed that if they presented themselves a certain Certain way, then they could be accepted as full humans and accepted as um, as full citizens in this state. We already know that that didn't happen, but that was the intentionality. And then um, finally, it talks about how this, how the black church now is really functioning as as a place where prosperity and class mobility is favored instead of. Um, instead of this whole idea about the black church as being a place of, of hope and tools in, in liberation, because it's no longer focused on saving our communities as much as it's focused on, um, again, keeping up respectability, keeping up class mobility and prioritizing salvation, but really doing that through the mechanism of forgiveness, finance, and fear and how the black church has left so many people behind. It has left poor people behind. It has left gay people behind. It has left people um, who are trans behind. It has left anybody who doesn't fit this mold of respectability behind in and how in the so it leaves with the question mark of, you know, what is the role? What is the continued role of the black church? So as I was listening to um, this documentary, I had so, so, so many feelings. I was um, in one of my favorite Facebook group. Um, shout out to Witches Brew on Facebook. Um kind of processing my feelings aloud, so to speak, while I was going through the documentary because there was just, just so many parts that were, of course, you felt nostalgia or I felt nostalgia because there's so many parts of the black church that, that resonated with me. That's my foundation. That's where I grew up in. That's definitely a huge part of my family history growing up CME. And I spoke about that on another um, episode. Um, I can't remember which episode that is, but somewhere in one of the previous episodes, go check out season one. But also there was a lot of frustration because it reminded me so much of the parts of our Africanness and so much of our African traditional religion, of our indigenous beliefs and magic systems that were completely swept under the rug then and continue to be swept under the rug through the lens of this documentary. So um, 
yeah, it was definitely with a lot of mixed feelings. The first thing that I was really hoping that the documentary would have done, but it didn't do, was go into deeper discussion around the roots of African traditional religion in in black church. So, like I said earlier, it it, it kind of glossed over the fact that yes, we are an amalgamation, and yes, we adapted our beliefs, but they didn't really go into specificity about what those beliefs are. And I believe that had they gone into specificity about what those beliefs are, then we then more people would recognize that what they call Christianity, what they call Black Church is a good chunk of it is really derived from our traditional beliefs. Um, So I wish they would have talked more about syncretism and about how the adaptation wasn't simply just because of, and I say syncretism, syncretism is the idea that um, our, our, that our indigenous religion was not only masked behind Christianity. So we see this in particular with like Santeria. We see this in particular with other types of, um, with other types of, of spirituality that it looks Christian on the outside. But when you go in deeper, especially I think about Louisiana voodoo in particular as well, that we see that there, um, that that was a mass, so to speak for the African, African traditional religions that were really at play. And, Syncretism isn't just around the mass, but it really is about the blending of some of the of the belief systems as well. That syncretism didn't happen just simply because you had people that were trying to learn a new language or people that were, you know, trying to hide. But it really was about adaptation. It was really about safety because, you know, if you if you were presenting as, you know, doing magic or doing witchcraft. And I know people have different beliefs around this word witchcraft, but that you were doing hoodoo and that you were doing your, your traditional beliefs that you could be punished and you could be punished up to death for, for doing those beliefs out loud. And so being Christian wasn't just because we all of a sudden believed in Christ, but it was really about our protection and our safety as well too. But if you look closely, you see that there are so many ways that, um, that, what we again, what we call Black Christianity, is really indigenous to our original spiritual beliefs. So everything from the Psalms. If you go into talk to anybody who's Hoodoo or anybody that practices um, indigenous Black indigenous um, religion here in the United States, you will hear them oftentimes talking about Psalms and reciting Psalms as part of our magic. And a lot of people get that confused, and they think that the reason why Black folks recite the Psalms is because it's this this religious piety or you know using the Bible. But really, they recited the Psalms because it was reminiscent of the, of the kinds of um, chants and prayers and, and articulations that people used in their original language, and that the Psalms were very similar to that in terms of um, in terms of how they used words and chants and spell work to to do their their work. And again, if you're new to my podcast, then you um, you missed this before. But when we talk about work, we're talking about um, magic we're talking around the mixture of the mundane and the spiritual to achieve a certain end we're talking around um, our spell work our prayers our herbal work our music all of those things that are literally work that we do to bring about a certain outcome we um I wish that they would have gone into more detail about the ring shout because they touched on it a little bit and they showed how the ring shout, which is something that, again, that is native to the continent, was 
is something that we see often in many black churches. And the ring shout is when you see the song and the prayer going in, in counterclockwise movement. And you see that often in our dances, literally in our current dances, you see the circular movement. Um, I think somebody um, posted once about how you see this in, in Megan the Stallion's video. Don't don't give me the line about which one, but they do not Megan the Stallion. Um, I think it was in, um, Lil' Kim's video, how they're doing the dance and the counterclockwise movement. But that is not just Christian, that actually predates Christianity on the continent. So again, I wish they would have went into more detail about that, about water immersion, about the role of mothers, because y'all, there is no accident that in the black church that we have the motherboard, the dressing all white, that are truly the backbone and the spiritual leaders in our church, even though they didn't always get the recognition as the official pastors. We all know if you grew up in a black church, that the role of the mothers was as important, if not more important to the functioning of, um, to the church and to the community at large and the fact that the motherboard always wore white all of those things again are not by accident and they are deeply steeped in our indigenous religion and i wish that we had they would have spent more time in exploring that if you want to learn more about this i highly suggest you i'm gonna give you two resources you need to read um, mojo working by Katrina Donald Hazard. I also teach a whole class on hoodoo history where we go into these things in detail. So um, I'll drop that information in the show notes. I haven't set any new times for the new year about when I'll be teaching it, but um, you can look out for that. The next thing that I wish the documentary would have explored more was really about how hoodoo persisted persisted well after the Civil War, especially um, especially in that time period between the Civil War and World War II, because not only did you have um, folks who were now freedmen who were now able to gather in, in some ways, not in full ways, there was no open gathering, there were still very much different laws around the gathering of black folks, and there was still a lot of um, laws around our, restricting our movement and property and all of those things, but that was still a time where... Um, Black people were not, you know, fully and completely Christianity as Christian as a whole. That they were still very much part, um, practicing their indigenous religion, even if they did it again syncretized with Christianity. But what happened was after World War II, when when black folks again were when the Great Migration was happening and people were moving up north and west and east, not only were again were people trying to join churches and, and, and shed their, their former past and become more um, respectable and and shed honestly the trauma of living in the south even though they didn't realize that what they were going to was going to be um, a different kind of trauma moving to the north we also saw that in around world war ii you had a lot of folks who were um, making money and commercializing hoodoo. So people were no longer on their land anymore. So they were trying to buy the herbs and buy the products and, and buy the numbers books and buy all of these things. And again, white folks doing what they do came in and really colonized that and took off with, um, with you see the beginning of the stores and, and overtaking the pharmacies and overtaking the things that we had in our communities and capitalizing off of that. Um, so I wish they would have gone into more history around um, what black botanicas, that's not what they were called then, but, but black herbal stores and pharmacies and things were really how they were thriving before World War II and then how, our, um, how we substituted and adapted that in, in post 
slavery. And then the last thing that I wish that the documentary had gone into, but of course it wouldn't have been necessarily just about the black church. Um, it probably would have um, gone a different direction, but I still think it's an important part to talk about when you're talking about the black church is how hoodoo is literally black culture. One thing that we learn if you practice any African traditional religion is that there is no separation between the spiritual and the mundane. There's no separation between what you do on Sunday versus what you do Monday through Saturday. That who we are spiritually is everything from the way that we cook our beans to the ways that we praise, from the way that we sing, from the way that we clean our houses, from the way that we style our hair to the way that we raise our children, that all of those things are infused because as an African people, that our spirit and our corporal selves cannot be separated. And that is very much intertwined in the ways that we worship and the ways that we practice our magic and our religion and our spirituality. So, um, Many of the things that we see now is just, you know, grandma talking or old folks talking or grandmother wisdom are actually comes from hoodoo and comes from our indigenous religions. So everything from turning off the TV from when the storm is going to only cutting your hair at the full moon and burning it so that nobody else can get a hold of your hair and throwing salt over your shoulder if you spill it and hanging cinnamon brooms in your house, never splitting poles. All of those things that we do, that we just do instinctively and that we do because we're black, the way that we, some folks wear white to a funeral and some folks wear black to a funeral. Some folks, um, um, pass the baby over the um the 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 grave site. Some folks leave money at the grave site. So all of these things that we do um doesn't just come from nowhere, and it's not just black culture, but it's in particular to our indigenous religion that we came and that we brought over from Africa and that we in adapted in the Americas, and not just the United States. When I talk about the Americas, but all of the Americas that we came over here with. Came over here with. So, so what now? So what now? We had this documentary out, even though you know it was really good in capturing one one line of the black church and its function in the black community. It definitely missed a huge chunk of our spirituality roots because. I think it's important that it talks about that because it's not an accident now that people are being more vocal and being more present and being more intentional about how we practice hoodoo. It's no accident that there's this return to source, that there's this return to wanting to discover who we were before co colonialization. There's no accident that we are trying to get, understand who our ancestors were and what our native traditions were. And so I think it's important that we tell the whole story and that we discuss this. Um, we are part of a generation that, you know, for those of us, and I'm Gen X, but those of us who are Gen X or early millennials, we were raised by people who were the late baby boomers or the baby boomers. And those are the people who, you know, were very present during the Black Pride movement in the 60s and 70s. And so, so it's no accident that we are now those folks that have come of age raised by those people who want to um, be proud of our roots and culture because that's how we were and we want to return to that. It's no accident that, um, that we are the ones that are doing that because of how we were raised. Also, I think it's important for us to really understand and to dissect the black church 
as it is now, as it was, you know, post-World War II and post-slavery, and then also in its indigenous roots, because we, I think we've come to a place full circle where we are re- realizing, at least some of us are realizing, there's still some folks out there that aren't there yet, but some of us are realizing and have realized that respectability does not protect us. It does not matter if you, you know, you look the part, if you have the beautiful straight hair, it doesn't matter if you, you know, have the right kind of job and you live in the right kind of neighborhood or that you have the right kind of education, that at the end of the day, you're still black in America. You are still black in these Americas. You are still black in this diaspora and you're not protected. You can be just, you can be killed and slain in the streets by the state, um, state sanctioned police as much as you can be killed in the streets by any other sorts of violence, the same way that you can be killed by our medical institution and that your respectability and that your privilege in your class doesn't protect us. And so it's really important for us to start to dismantle the ways that we have bought into white supremacy by upholding respectability. And it's important for us to not only understand that, but to dismantle that. And that means dismantling it from our everyday practices. It means dismantling it from our institutions as black folks. It means dismantling it from our church, because in order for us to survive and not just survive, but thrive as a black people, we're going to have to get really real about the ways that we have upheld respectability and then Because of that, we have upheld white supremacy in our own communities. But that's a whole other conversation. And I feel like that might need to be another podcast around the ways that we have really done that and have done a number on ourselves and how we are continuing to harm ourselves. And all of those things are are opposite and are the antithesis of liberation. And liberation, I think, and the documentary kind of touches on this a little bit, but one of the big mistakes that I have seen the church go in addition to all of the many places, but one huge mistake is that it sees liberation as this individual, individual journey, this individual thing that all it is about is your personal salvation. And as long as you are personally saved and you, and you develop your personal wealth and your personal legacy, then that's all that matters. And the truth is that that's not true. It matters. No, it does not matter if you are personally wealthy or you have your personal salvation, if you are not uplifting and changing our communities. I think I read a statistic somewhere and I'm going to have to fact check this after the podcast, but about how black people are the only people that you can have that are more likely to have their children return back to poverty despite being raised middle class than any other people. So just because you are personally wealthy, just because you have personally made it and arrived, one does not guarantee that your children will have. It does not guarantee that your community will have. And in order for us to thrive, that we have to come together for our own liberation. Now, let me be clear. I am not faulting black people for being um, for having this because we know the reason why we're not able to have generational wealth in the same ways are definitely because of institutionalized racism, because of the ways that loans happen, because of the way we have access to education, because of student loans, because of real estate, because of all of those things are the reason why we're in the situation because of our healthcare system. But in order for us to change it, and the reason why I'm saying us to change it is because frankly, I'm not depending on waiting on or even have any sense our belief that it's going to be white folks that save us. 
I'm not waiting for white folks. I'm not waiting for government. I'm not waiting for the next great president. I'm not waiting for that to change our communities because the fact of the matter is for all as long as we've been in these, in these United States, that has not saved us. The only thing that consistently saves us, heals us, liberates us are other black folks. And the only way that we are consistently healed, liberated, and saved is by one, understanding our connection and our interconnectedness with each other. Harriet could have easily gone and saved herself and saved her family and never looked back. But she know that instinctually it was it was on her heart and it was her mission. It was her purpose to go back and save the next person and to save the next person and to save the next person, because that's how we rise together as a people. It also means creating our own institutions. It means. Um, creating our own wealth and educating ourselves. And we cannot, again, wait for somebody else to do this for us. And so we have to really be clear around the ways that, um, that we are that we are responsible for each other. And I believe that hoodoo and I believe that other African traditional religions does that because it's about the collective. It's about how do we do those things on, again, a practical level and a spiritual level to save ourselves. And then finally, I think what this documentary reminds me of and what and where I'm going to next and where I hope we all go to next is a reminder that we are whole and complete as black people on our own. We possess our own magic. We don't need some far off salvation that happens after you die in order for us to be healed and to be happy and to be whole. We don't need to see ourselves as sinners needing redemption in order for us to thrive. We don't need to gaslight ourselves that forgiveness is the only way that we can heal psychologically from the trauma that has been passed down to us, from the trauma that we experience as black people, from from the collective trauma that we have as communities living in this part of the world and living in the diaspora. That we have the ability to provide ourselves with our healing. We have the ability to provide ourselves with our wholeness. And we have the ability to, to really be clear about our own institutions, our religious institutions, our cultural institutions, our um, political, our educational institutions as a black people. So I told y'all I had a lot to say and I had a lot that I was thinking about around this church, but I want this to be a two-way dialogue and I want to hear from you. So if you, wherever you're watching this, I would love to hear from you. Comment on my IG post or on Facebook. I want to hear from you. You know, if you saw the Black Church episode, what did you think about the episode? And then really, I would like for us to have a really honest conversation around, do you think that the Black Church as it exists now is relevant to our collective liberation as Black people? Is the Black Church still alive in the ways that it needs to be? And or is the Black Church dead? I would love for you to chime in. And I can't wait to hear what you have to say. Thank you guys for checking out another episode of Sister Soul, Purpose, and Sisterhood. And until next time in two weeks, I hope that you are well, that you are healthy, and that you are having a safe time. Thank you, everybody.